All right. Well, good morning, everyone. And wherever, whenever, however you are listening, God's blessings to you this day. Uh, my name is Pastor Ernie Jung here at Faith Lutheran Church in Moore Park, California. And, and today we continue on with our catechism, small catechism live series. And today uh, we are dwelling upon the second use of the law. Um, hopefully this will go well with you as we learn about the law what does it do? What does it demand of us? Can we fulfill the law? Or can't we? So we will uh, definitely go uh, through these topics this day. And thank you for joining me. And may this word go well with you. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word shows us and diagnoses who we are in our sin, but also gives us the remedy in Christ Jesus. Lord, bless us this day, and may this word continually grant us comfort that though we fall short, O Lord, you give us Jesus. For all these things we are thankful. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, continuing on today, the second use of the law. What is the second use of the law all about? Now, it's easy as one, two, and three, right? Uh, there's first use of the law, second use of the law, third use of the law. Uh, curb, as we call it, uh, kind of more for the world civil. Second use, we call it mirror Third use, we call it guide or ruler. Now, we know that the law, as it says in Romans 2, is is written on our hearts, right? Uh, That we do definitely, we do definitely have a conscience. And uh, we very well know uh, conscience with knowing, as we would translate that word. We know definitely what is going on as the law has been written on our hearts, right? We, We have a conscience. Uh, we definitely have the law of Moses, uh, the commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, all these things. And when we speak of the law, I think it's very important to remember that uh, many people think that the works of the law or their own works of the law somehow play a role in the story of salvation or their assurance and certainty as a child of God, that somehow the works of the law uh, add or, what's the word, um, or help or give brownie points or give gold stars or even, even cleanse the conscience or comfort the conscience even in the slightest bit to know that I am a good Christian, right? Um, and... You know, I think when we talk about the law and we talk about uh, the world looking at Christianity and just looking at world religion in general, you very well know that uh, many people will say, oh, you know, you're just one of many religions that if you just follow these laws, you will get there. And if you just follow these, these laws well enough, then, then your, your God will be right with you and you'll be right with God and everything will be uh, peachy keen, right? Is that what they say? This is Catechism Live, I'm not sure. But anyways, but this is what uh, many people say, right? But we very well know that when we look at the Ten Commandments, 
This is God's demand on us. He calls us to keep these commandments, right? That is his demand. He, he calls us to keep these commandments because after all, they are good, right? They're good, right? To fear love, uh, trust in God above all things, that's good, right? Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping holy, hearing God's word, keeping a sacred uh, commandment too, living under his name, of course, uh, as we, as we live under that name in the baptismal life, uh, honoring our father and mother, uh, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, right? Uh, all these commandments, covetousness, uh, uh, false testimony or gossip, um, a gift, of, gift of contentedness, all these things are what is good for us. But the question is, can we... Fulfill the demand of God. Can we fulfill the law? You know, and, and this is how a lot of people see it, just as a uh, kind of a, a view of the mind, right? Is this is you and me, and this is God, and this is the law. And the quest is to what? Fulfill the law so that you may jump over the hoops through the hoops, under the hoops, over the hoops, and ascend yourself to God. Now, this is the, the design um, of, of all world religion. It is. It is to fulfill the law, and if you've done good enough, then God will receive you. Now, for us, when we speak of the second use of the law, which we will focus on today, the second use of the law is regarded as Mirror, reflection. Um, in the morning, uh, I, I really don't want to see my face. You know, it, it, uh, <laughs> you look in the mirror, you know, you wake up, you're like, oh man, oof, rough morning, right? Uh, but when you look at that reflection, you actually see who you are. And I'm not just saying appearance-wise. I, I think with the second use of the law, it, it shows us our sin, Right Now the first use, more for the worldly civil, to curb the world and all the unrest, to keep everything in order. The second use of the law is for us, to show us our sin. And when we speak of uh, the second use of the law, this is our devotion today, Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, right? So for by the erga, the works of the nama, the, the, the works of the law, no, no one is righteous, not even one, right? No matter how much we do, no matter how much we bring to the table, this will not declare us righteous or justified in front of God. Right? It's like, you know, we tell ourselves, you know, if I just compile all these works and, and add upon these works, then somehow through the works of this law, I will, I will convince myself I am justified similar to this design of the world. And we very well know this is not the case. But for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So that means, as Romans, as St. Paul says in the book of Romans, that we cannot justify ourselves, Right? We cannot make a, a, a case uh, for our own justification. 
Um, for by the works of the law, we very well know uh, that this is impossible. And we'll talk about it later why. But since through the law, through, comes the knowledge of our sin. Now, when speaking of this mirror, the mirror of the law shows us through the law, the knowledge, it shows us our sin. It shows us what we are really up against. See, the thing is, when we know, uh, when we know truly what sin is, this first part, works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We very well know that is absolutely true. I, I think the bottom line is here is the understanding of sin. Now, what is sin? Is sin just something that we kind of, you know, uh, kind of wipe off when we uh, make a sin or, or, oh, we'll just do better and we can overcome this sin or, or that um, uh, somehow we can overcome or, or subdue this sin by just being better or being good or striving to overcome all these things. And, and the reality is, it is good, right? It is good to strive by the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit uh, to live, we'll talk about next week, the third use of the law, as guide, as ruler. But when we talk about the nature of sin, it always gets us back so what do you think? What will I always say? Genesis 3. And original sin. The story of, of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden. Where, where there they were told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But yet they did. As the devil would swoop in and, and tempt them and, and lead them um, into sin. And because of it. Because of one man's disobedience as uh, St. Paul says. All were made sinners. Right? The result is that we are inheritors of sin. That means we were, as it says in Psalm 51, that we were born into sin. Uh, and when we speak of sin, um, it is this fallen human condition, right? As it says right here, we are turned away from God and are unable to look to him for security, meaning, and righteousness. This inner sinful condition results in actual sins of thought, desire, word, or deed that are contrary to God's will as summarized in the Ten Commandments. So when we speak of sin, it's all rooted in what we were born into. We were not born with a clean slate. We were born into sin. And that is a tough reality to swallow uh, for, for us humans because we do desire in our nature to think that we can actually play a role in our salvation or in our justification or declaration um, in front of God um, that, we are, uh, that we have earned uh, this status as his child. But what original sin brings is this, that we are spiritually blind Dead and enemies of God, right? That is uh, the result. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural person, right? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Um, Ephesians 2, 3. That because of original sin, we are by nature children of wrath. And because of sin, death came into the world, right? Because, well, because of their sin, all have sinned. 
to the fall and short to the glory of God. And here we very well know that in this state of sin, this inheritance from original sin, we cannot overcome this very reality by ourselves. You know, I think this is the major deception of the evil foe, is that he, he, he makes it sound like you can do this yourself, right? That you can actually do the works of the law to declare yourself righteous in front of God. Um, the devil is your greatest cheerleader. He will always rue you on in this endeavor. Why? I think it's, it's because uh, he's turning you away from the only remedy uh, within our own depravity, right? He's turning you away from the only solution, the only answer, the only gift that can actually fulfill uh, and give you this justification. And that's the devil's work all the time. Our misunderstanding of what sin is. You know, it says um, in the book of 1 John, um, what does it say right there? It says, uh, he who has no sin deceives himself and the truth is not, or uh, the truth is not in him. But, uh, you know, we, and we, we assume that in 1 John, uh, there yeah, he is, or we assume that when we say we have no sin, sorry, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And uh, this is the deception all the time. No one wants to go there with sin because it's ugly. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's, it's, it's the things in the closet that we dare not want to go through because we very well know, as I said earlier, with our conscience, we very well know that the law is written on our hearts. We know how the law at the end of the day, a big word right here, the law shows us this mirror, but also accuses us, convicts us, showing us our true, uh, our true sickness. Um, and I'll give you one example before we go to the next step, is that when we go to the doctor, uh, what happens? You go to the doctor and, and, and they tell you uh, that you have this sickness, right? And, and you don't want to hear it. And you say, you know, doc, I don't believe you. I'm going home. Um, and you know that if you do that, that's probably not good for you, right? If you have a sickness and the doctor prescribes or, or diagnoses you, you don't just say, uh, no, I don't believe you, I'm going home, right? Uh, and even more destructive in the vein of our, our life is to deny the reality of sin, right? You say, no, I'm not a sinner, right? I'm gonna go home and do my thing and live out my life the way I do. See, the law shows us not... At the end of the day, it shows us that it cannot, that we cannot save ourselves by the very law because we are sinners, right? The law shows us that we cannot save ourselves. The law shows us that we have sinned against God and neighbor. No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law, through the law, comes knowledge, the knowing of sin. The law shows me 
my sin. The law shows you your sin. But right there, what happens? You know, at the doctor's office, what do they say? You have this sickness. Now here, here is the medicine I prescribed to you. Go to the drugstore and get the prescription. And if you take this eight doses in eight days, you'll be better. Probably an antibiotic. I had pneumonia last year, so that's what I did, right? And I got better, right? Now, this is what happens with the law here, is that the law shows us our sin, but then it just doesn't, God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't say, figure out your own salvation by yourself. He knows that we are dead and spiritually dead enemies of God, that we are by nature children of wrath, that, we, that this natural person is, is uh, by nature wicked. Uh, we are dead and we need to be made alive. We need to be made alive. And the law shows us this very reality, that it's nothing of ourselves. But when it comes to being justified, being declared righteous in front of God, um, to being reconciled and forgiven to him and his, um, in his promise, it is in this sin where our Lord points us to Jesus points us to the greatest remedy, right? The law accuses and convicts, but yet also the law at the end of the day, through this conviction, through this accusation, crushing us, right? Stripping away all the uh, misconceived or preconceived or misunderstandings of, of how we can save ourselves because we cannot. It points us to only Christ, the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins, right? The law shows us, again, that we cannot fulfill it. Now, again, earlier I said uh, a lot of people with religion say, oh, you have to fill these or fulfill these commandments or these set of rules or these precepts, these laws, and then you will get there. For us, it's actually the opposite. The law shows us we can't do that. The law shows us truly that we are dead in sin. And when you're dead... You need to be resuscitated by the one outside of you, right? You, you can't resuscitate yourself, right? Clear? You can't, right? It is the one outside of you. And that's why in this knowledge of sin, there we are pointed to the comfort of Christ and what he brings to you. That he has come to fulfill the law for you. That he has come to shed his blood on the cross for you. Uh, He has come to wash away your sin. And to give you life eternal. To be your remedy in the midst of the diagnosis that we realize and understand by the very word of the law that shows us our sin. That we need Jesus. And there we rest in the promise of Christ. And what he has brought to the table. He is your savior. And how that is shown to us at the end of the day is this. I need to be made alive. I need to be justified. I cannot do this on my own. Because the mirror of the law has accused, convict, crushed me to realize that it's nothing of myself that can bring anything to justify myself. Because the knowledge of sin is real. See, that's the thing. The grace of our Lord, the grace of our Lord is so comforting. He says, come to me, all you who are broken and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's me and you. The law shows us our poverty, our spiritual bankruptcy. But he didn't just leave us there, right? He not say, do better. Figure it out. No, he says, I give you Jesus. I give you the cross. I give you the empty tomb. I give you your baptism. I give you the gifts. Because that is the true, one true God. This is what makes our faith radical. It's because we know we can't bring anything to the table. But it's our Lord who brings everything for you. It's only Jesus and what he has done for you in this gospel. Because this second you shows us the remedy. Shows us that we need the remedy, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as this sin humbly convicts us of who we are and what we truly need in the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb, our Lord and Savior. So remember that this day. For by works of the law, can you save yourselves? The answer is no. No human being will be justified. Since through, through the law, comes knowledge of sin. Why do you come to church, friends? Is it because you're good? Is it because you're perfect? Why are you Christian? Is it, because, is it because you brought everything to the table and deemed yourself a good Christian? The answer is no, right? You are a Christian by the blood that was shed for you. You are a Christian by the one who faithfully lived his life to be your sacrifice. You are a Christian because Christ is the one who fulfilled the law for you perfectly. As he died and rose and has given you the gift of eternal life. You are a Christian because it's not about you, but for you. And that for you is from this knowledge of sin. I cannot bring anything to the table. Not even a little. Not even a speck, right? Not even the slightest bit. And I know, sometimes we do catch ourselves in our minds, right? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a pretty good person. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I'm a pretty good Christian. You know, I've done that, I've done that. You know, every Sunday I go to church, you know, I read the Bible the best I can, and these are all good. But when it comes, when it becomes something that somehow you feel can justify you in front of God, that's where we turned away from the cross. Very subtle, my friends. Very subtle. And um, how easily we can be confused or how we can muddy and blurry uh, uh, the use of the law. Now, next week, uh, we'll talk about the third use of as Christians, as those who are blessed and redeemed. What does this law look like? Right? So the second use we see shows us our sin. It shows us the reality that is before us ever since the fall in Genesis 3. But next week... As those who are in Christ, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, children of God, as children of God, how do we see the commandments here? And how does that work? So that's what we'll talk about next week.
But until then, hopefully this was helpful to you in our short meeting today. Um, and hopefully I, um, I covered it pretty, hopefully I covered it pretty good for you. But if you have any questions or thoughts or comments, please comment down below, email me, text me. Uh, we can always chat about this. I'm always interested um, in going through the second use of the law. But hopefully this went well with you. God be with you. And may you have comfort knowing full well that it's Jesus. I know you always hear me say it. You do. But it is. Right? Until the end of time, until the Lord's return, it will always be Jesus, his cross, his empty tomb, the gospel for each and every one of you, the bloodshed, the triumph over the grave, the holy water and word of baptism, all the gifts given, 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 because we know our sin. And this is the life of faith. By grace, you are saved. And that is because of our own sin. We cannot save ourselves. But it's a gift from God, not by our own doing, gift from God, and it must be because we know the true depth and the true depravity of our sin. So uh, remember this day, God doesn't leave you there in the dust. He restores you by sending you Jesus. All right, uh, let us close this day. Let us pray. Uh, Dearly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we know that we fall short, that we were born into sin, but thank you for your grace that you have come to us uh, to to die on the cross and and to shed your blood and to forgive us of our sins. Bless us, O Lord, knowing full well that we are justified through your work, through your sacrificial love, and through your Son who gives to us the joy that indeed we are covered by your blood. Lord, this day we thank you. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. God's blessings to all. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Love you all. Praying for you all. And until next time, adios and goodbye. Thanks for listening to these Small Catechism Live devotions. We hope this helps you as you continue to grow and study the Bible. For more information about Faith Lutheran Church, visit us online at faithmoorpark.com.